Section 10 of Heart of the West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Brownard Plunkett. Heart of the West by O. Henry. Section 10. Cupid a la carte the dispositions of uh, women said jeff peters after various opinions on the subject had been advanced run regular to diversions what a woman wants is what you're out of she wants more of a thing when it scars she likes to have souvenirs of things that never happened she likes to be reminded of things she never heard of a one-sided view of objects is disjointing to the female composition tis a misfortune of mine begotten by nature and travel continued jeff looking thoughtfully between his elevated feet at the grocery stove to look deeper into some subjects than most people do i've breathed gasoline smoke talking to street crowds in nearly every town in the united states I felt them spellbound with music, oratory, sleight of hand, and prevarications, while I've sold them jewelry, medicine, soap, hair tonic, and junk of other nominations. And during my travels, as a matter of recreation and expiation, I've taken cognizance some of women. It takes a man a lifetime to find out about one particular woman, but if he puts in, say, ten years, industrious and curious he can acquire the general rudiments of the sex one lesson i picked up was when i was working the west with a line of brazilian diamonds and a patent fire kindler just after my trip from savannah down through the cotton belt with dalby's anti-explosive lamp oil powder twas when the oklahoma country was in first bloom guthrie was rising in the middle of it like a lump of self-raising dough it was a boomtown of the regular kind. You stood in line to get a chance to wash your face. If you ate over ten minutes, you had a lodging bill added on. If you slept on a plank at night, they charged it to you as board the next morning. By nature and doctrines, I am addicted to the habit of discovering choice places wherein to feed. So, I looked around and found a proposition that exactly cut the mustard. I found a restaurant tent, just opened up by an outfit that had drifted in on the tail of the boom. They had knocked together a box house where they lived and did the cooking, and served the meals in a tent pitched against the side. That tent was joyful with placards on it, calculated to redeem the world-worn pilgrim from the sinfulness of boarding houses and pick-me-up hotels try mother's homemade biscuits what's the matter with our apple dumplings and hard sauce hot cakes and maple syrup like you ate when a boy our fried chicken never was heard to crow there was literature doomed to please the digestions of men i said to myself that mother's wandering boy should munch there that night and so it came to pass and there is where i contracted my case of mamie duggan old man duggan was six feet by one of indiana loafer and he spent his time sitting on his shoulder blades in a rocking chair in the shanty memorializing the great corn crop failure of ninety six 
Ma Duggan did the cooking, and Mamie waited on the table. As soon as I saw Mamie, I knew there was a mistake in the census reports. There wasn't but one girl in the United States. When you come to specifications, it isn't easy. She was about the size of an angel, and she had eyes and ways about her. When you come to the kind of girl she was, you'll find a belt of them reaching from the Brooklyn Bridge west, as far as the courthouse in Council Bluffs, Iowa. They earn their own living in stores, restaurants, factories, and offices. They're chummy and honest and free and tender and sassy, and they look life straight in the eye. They've met man face to face and discovered that he's a poor creature. They've dropped to it that the reports in the seaside library about his being a fairy prince lack confirmation. Mamie was that sort. She was full of life and fun and breezy. She passed the repartee with the borders quick as a wink. You'd have smothered laughing. I am disinclined to make excavations into the insides of a personal affection. I am glued to the theory that the diversions and discrepancies of the indisposition known as love should be as private a sentiment as a toothbrush. Tis my opinion that the biographies of the heart should be confined with the historical romances of the liver to the advertising pages of the magazines. So, you'll excuse the lack of an itemized bill of my feelings towards Mamie. Pretty soon I got a regular habit of dropping into the tent to eat at irregular times when there wasn't so many around. Mamie would sail in with a smile in a black dress and white apron and say, Hello, Jeff. Why don't you come at mealtime? Want to see how much trouble you can be, of course. Fried chicken, beef stick, pork chops, ham and eggs, pot pie, and so on. She called me Jeff, but there was no significations attached. Designations was all she meant. The front names of any of us she used as they came to hand. I would eat about two meals before I left, and string em out like a society spread while I change plates and wives and josh one another festively between bites. Mamie stood for it, pleasant, for it wasn't up to her to take any canvas off the tent by declining dollars just because they were whipped in after mealtimes. It wasn't long until there was another fellow named Ed Collier got the between-meals affliction and him and me put in bridges between breakfast and dinner and dinner and supper. They made a three-ringed circus of that tent, and Mamie's turn as waiter a continuous performance. That collier man was saturated with designs and contrivings. He was in well-boring or insurance or claim-jumping or something. I've forgotten which. He was a man well lubricated with gentility, and his words were such as recommended you to his point of view. So, Collier and me infested the grub tent with care and activity. Mamie was level full of impartiality. Twas like a casino hand the way she dealt out her favors, one to Collier, and one to me, and one to the board, and not a card up her sleeve. Me and Collier naturally got acquainted and gravitated together some on the outside, divested of his stratagems. He seemed to be a pleasant chap, full of an amiable sort of hostility. 
i notice you have an affinity for grubbing in the banquet hall after the guests have fled says i to him one day to draw his conclusions well yes says collier reflecting the tumult of a crowd aboard seems to harass my sensitive nerves it exasperates mine some too says i nice little girl don't you think i see says collier laughing well now that you mention it i have noticed that she doesn't seem to displease the optic nerve she's a joy to mine says i and i'm going after her notice is hereby served i'll be as candid as you admits collier and if the drug stores don't run out of papsin i'll give you a run for your money that'll leave you a dyspeptic at the wind-up so collier and me begins the race the grub department lays in new supplies mamie waits on us jolly and kind and agreeable and it looks like an even break with cupid and the cook working overtime in duggan's restaurant twas one night in september when i got mamie to take a walk after supper when the things were all cleared away we strolled out a distance and sat on a pile of lumber at the edge of town such opportunities was seldom so i spoke my piece explaining how the brazilian diamonds and the fire kindler were laying up sufficient treasure to guarantee the happiness of two and that both of them together couldn't equal a light from somebody's eyes and that the name of duggan should be changed to peters or reasons why not would be in order mamie didn't say anything right away directly she gave a kind of shudder and i began to learn something jeff she says i'm sorry you spoke i like you as well as any of them but there isn't a man in the world i'd ever marry and there never will be do you know what a man is in my eye he's a tomb he's a sarcophagus for the interment of beefsteak pork chops live in bacon ham and eggs he's that and nothing more for two years i've watched men eat 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 until they represent nothing on earth to me but ruminant bypaths they're absolutely nothing but something that goes in front of a knife and fork and a plate at the table they're fixed that way in my mind and memory i've tried to overcome it but i can't i've heard girls rave about their sweethearts but i never could understand it a man and a sausage grinder and a pantry awake in me exactly the same sentiments i went to a matinee once to see an actor the girls were crazy about i got interested enough to wonder whether he liked a steak rare medium or well done and his eggs over or straight up that was all no jeff i'll marry no man and see him sit at the breakfast table and eat and come back to dinner and eat and happen in again at supper to eat 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 but mamie says i it'll wear off you've had too much of it you'll marry some time of course men don't eat always as far as my observation goes they do no i'll tell you what i'm going to do mamie turns sudden to animation and bright eyes there's a girl named susie foster in Terot chum of mine she waits in the railroad eating house there i worked two years in a restaurant in that town susie has it worse than i do because the men who eat at railroad stations gobble 
they try to flirt and gobble at the same time. Whew! Susie and I have it all planned out. We're saving our money, and when we get enough, we're going to buy a little cottage and five acres we know of, and live together and grow violets for the eastern market. A man better not bring his appetite within a mile of our ranch. Don't girls ever, I commenced, but Mamie helps me off, sharp. No, they don't. They nibble a little bit, sometimes. That's all. I thought the confact, for goodness sake, change the subject, says Mamie. As I said before, that experience puts me wise that the feminine arrangement ever struggles after deceptions and illusions. Take England. Beef Mater. Wieners elevated Germany. Uncle Sam owes his greatness to fried chicken and pie. But the young ladies of the sheet-talk-you schools, they'll never believe it. Shakespeare, they allow, and Rubinstein, and the Rough Riders is what did the trick. It was a situation calculated to disturb. I couldn't bear to give up Mamie, and yet it pained me to think of abandoning the practice of eating. I had acquired the habit too early. For twenty-seven years I had been blindly rushing upon my fate, yielding to the insidious lures of that deadly monster, food. It was too late. I was a ruminant biped for keeps. It was lobster salad to a doughnut that my life was going to be blighted by it. I continued to board at the Duggan tent, hoping that Mamie would relent. I had sufficient faith and true love to believe that, since it has so often outlived the absence of a square meal, it might, in time, overcome the presence of one. I went on ministering to my fatal vice, although I felt that each time I shoved a potato into my mouth in Mamie's presence, I might be burying my fondest hopes. I think Collier must have spoken to Mamie and got the same answer, for one day he orders a cup of coffee and a cracker and sits nibbling the corner of it like a girl in the parlor that's filled up in the kitchen previous on cold roast and fried cabbage. I caught on and did the same, and maybe we thought we'd made a hit. The next day we tried it again, and out comes old man Duggan fetching in his hands the fairy viands. Kinda off your feet, ain't you, gents? he asks, fatherly and sardonic. Thought I'd spell Mamie a bit, seeing the work was light and my rheumatist can stand the strain. So back me and Collier had to drop to the heavy grub again. I noticed about that time that I was seized by a most uncommon and devastating appetite. I ate until Mamie must have hated to see me darken the door. Afterward, I found out that I had been made the victim of the first dark and irreligious trick played on me by Ed Collier. Him and me had been taking drinks together uptown regular, trying to drown our thirst for food. That man had bribed about ten bartenders to always put a big slug of apple trees and a conda appetite bitters in every one of my drinks. But the last trick he played on me was hardest to forget. One day, Collier failed to show up at the tent. A man told me he left town that morning. My only rival now was the bill of fare. 
a few days before he left collier had presented me with a two-gallon jug of fine whiskey which he said a cousin had sent him from kentucky i now have reason to believe that it contained apple trees anaconda appetite bitters almost exclusively i continued to devour tons of provisions in mamie's eyes i remained a mere biped more ruminant than ever about a week after collier pulled his freight there came a kind of sideshow to town and hoisted a tent near the railroad i judged it was a sort of fake museum and curiosity business i called to see mamie one night and ma duggan said that she and thomas her younger brother had gone to the show that same thing happened for three nights that week saturday night i caught her on the way coming back and got to sit on the steps a while and talk to her i noticed she looked different her eyes were softer and shiny-like. Instead of a Mamie Duggan to fly from the veracity of men and raise violets, she seemed to be a Mamie more in line as God intended her, approachable and suited to bask in the light of the Brazilians and the Kindler. You seem to be right smart in vagal, says I, with the unparalleled exhibition of the world's living curiosities and wonders. It's a change, says Mamie you'll need another says i if you keep on going every night don't be cross jeff says she it takes my mind off business don't the curiosities eat i ask not all of them some of them are wax look out then that you don't get stuck says i kind of flip and foolish mamie blushed i didn't know what to think about her my hopes raised some that perhaps my attentions had palliated man's awful crime of visibly introducing nourishment into a system she talked some about the stars referring to them with respect and politeness and i drivelled a quantity about united hearts homes made bright by true affection and the kindler mamie listened without scorn and i says to myself jeff old man you're removing the hoodoo that has clung to the consumer of victuals you're setting your heel upon the serpent that lurks in the gravy bowl monday night i drop around mamie is at the unparalleled exhibition thomas now may the curse of the forty-one seven-sided sea cooks says i and the bad luck of the nine impenitent grasshoppers rest upon the self-same sideshow at once and forevermore. Amen. I'll go to see it myself tomorrow night and investigate its baleful charm. Shall man that was made to inherit the earth be bereft of his sweetheart, first by a knife and fork, and then by a ten-cent circus? The next night, before starting out for the exhibition tent, i inquire and find out that mamie is not at home she is not at the circus with thomas this time for thomas waylays me in the grass outside of the grub tent with a scheme of his own before i had time to eat supper what'll you give me jeff says he if i tell you something the value of it son i says sis is stuck on a freak says thomas one of the sideshow freaks i don't like him she does i overheard them talking thought maybe you'd like to know say jeff 
does it put your wise to dollsworth there's a target rifle uptown that i frisked my pockets and commenced to dribble a stream of halves and quarters into thomas's hat the information was of the pile driver systems of news and it telescoped my intellects for a while while i was leaking small change and smiling foolish on the outside and suffering disturbances internally i was saying idiotically and pleasantly uh, thank you thomas thank you um a freak you said thomas now could you make out the monstrosity's entitlements a little clearer if you please thomas this is the fellow says thomas pulling out a yellow handbill from his pocket and shoving it under my nose he's the champion faster of the universe i guess that's why sis got soft on him he don't eat nothing he's going to fast forty-nine days this is the sixth that's him i looked at the name thomas pointed out professor eduardo collieri ah says i in admiration that's not so bad at collier i give you credit for the trick but i don't give you the girl until she's mrs freak i hit the sod in the direction of the show i came up to the rear of the tent and as i did so a man wiggled out like a snake from under the bottom of the canvas scrambled to his feet and ran into me like a loco bronco i gathered him by the neck and investigated him by the light of the stars it is professor eduardo collieri in human habiliments with a desperate look in one eye and impatience in the other hello curiosity says i get still a minute and let's have a look at your freak ship how do you like being the willopus wallopus or the bim bam from borneo or whatever name you are denounced by in the sideshow business jeff peters says collier in a weak voice turn me loose or i'll slug you one i'm in the extremest kind of a large hurry hands off tut tut eddie i answers holding him hard let an old friend gaze on the exhibition of your curiousness it's an eminent graft you fell onto my son but don't speak of assaults and battery because you're not fit the best you've got is a lot of nerve and a mighty empty stomach and so it was the man was as weak as a vegetarian cat i'd argue this case with you jeff says he regretful in his style for an unlimited number of rounds if i had half an hour to train in and a slab of beefsteak two feet square to train with curse the man i say that invented the art of going foodless may his soul in eternity be chained up within two feet of a bottomless pit of red-hot hash i'm abandoning the conflict jeff i'm deserting to the enemy you'll find miss duggan inside contemplating the only living mummy and the informed hog she's a fine girl jeff i'd have beat you out of it if i could have kept up the grubless habit a little while longer you'll have to admit that the fasting dodge was aces up for a while i figured it out that way but say jeff it's said that love makes the world go round let me tell you the announcement lacks verification it's the wind from the dinner horn that does it i love that mamie duggan i've gone six days without food in order to coincide with her sentiments 
only one bite did i have that was when i knocked the tattooed man down with a war club and got a sandwich he was gobbling the manager fined me all my salary but salary wasn't what i was after twas that girl i'd give my life for her but i'd endanger my immortal soul for a beef stew hunger is a horrible thing jack love and business and family and religion and art and patriotism are nothing but shadows of words when a man's starving in such language ed collier discoursed to me pathetic i gathered the diagnosis that his affections and his digestions had been implicated in a scramble and the commissionary had won out i never disliked ed collier i searched my internal admonitions of suitable etiquette to see if i could find a remark of a consoling nature but there was none convenient i'd be glad now says ed if you'll let me go i've been hard hit but i'll hit the ration supply harder i'm going to clean out every restaurant in town i'm going to wade waist deep in sirloins and swim in ham and eggs it's an awful thing jeff peters for a man to come to this pass to give up his girl for something to eat it's worse than that man esau that swapped his copyright for a partridge but then hunger's a fierce thing you'll excuse me now jeff for i smell a perversion of ham frying in the distance and my legs are crying out to stampede in that direction a hearty meal to you at colia i says to him and no hard feelings for myself i am projected to be an unseldom eater and i have condolence for your predicaments there was a sudden big whiff of frying ham smell on the breeze and the champion faster gives a snort and gallops off in the dark toward fodder i wish some of the cultured outfit that are always advertising the extenuating circumstances of love and romance had been there to see there was ed collier a fine man full of contrivances and flirtations abandoning the girl of his heart and ripping out into the contiguous territory in the pursuit of sordid grub twas a rebuke to the poets and a slap at the best-paying element of fiction an empty stomach is a sure antidote to an overfull heart i was naturally anxious to know how far mamie was infatuated with collier and her stratagems i went inside the unparalleled exhibition and there she was she looked surprised to see me but unguilty it's an elegant evening outside says i the coolness is quite nice and gratifying and the stars are lined out first class up where they belong wouldn't you shake these by-products of the animal kingdom long enough to take a walk with a common newman who never was on a program in his life mamie gave a sort of shy glance around and i knew what that meant oh says i i hate to tell you but um the curiosity that lives on wind has flew the coop he just crawled out under the tent by this time he has amalgamated himself with half of the delicatessen truck in town you mean at collier's says mamie i do i answers and a pity it is that he has gone back to crime again i met him outside the tent and he exposed his intentions of devastating the food crop of the world 
tis enormously sad when one's ideal descends from his pedestal to make a seventeen-year locust of himself mamie looked me straight in the eye until she had corkscrewed my reflections jeff says she it isn't quite like you to talk that way i don't care to hear ed collier ridiculed a man may do ridiculous things but they don't look ridiculous to the girl he does em for that was one man in a hundred he stopped eating just to please me i'd be hard-hearted and ungrateful if i didn't feel kindly toward him could you do what he did i know says i seeing the point i'm condemned i can't help it the brand of the consumer is upon my brow mrs e settled that business for me when she made the dicker with the snake i fell from the fire into the frying pan i guess i'm the champion feaster of the universe i spoke humble and mamie mollified herself a little ed collier and i are good friends she said the same as me and you i gave him the same answer i did you no marrying for me i liked to be with ed and talk with him there was something mighty pleasant to me in the thought that here was a man who never used a knife and fork and all for my sake wasn't you in love with him i asks all uh, injudicious wasn't there a deal on for you to become mrs curiosity all of us do it sometimes all of us get jostled out of the line of profitable talk now and then mamie put on that little lemon glaze smile that runs between ice and sugar and says much too pleasant you're short on credentials for asking that question mr peters suppose you do a forty-nine day fast just to give you ground to stand on and then maybe i'll answer it so even after collier was kidnapped out of the way by the revolt of his appetite my own prospects with mamie didn't seem to be improved and then business played out in guthrie i had stayed too long there the brazilians i had sold commenced to show signs of wear and the kindler refused to light up right frequent on wet mornings there's always a time in my business when the star of success says move on to the next town i was traveling by wagon at that time so as not to miss any of the small towns so i hitched up a few days later and went down to tell mamie good-bye i wasn't abandoning the game i intended running over to oklahoma city and work it for a week or two then i was coming back to institute fresh proceedings against mamie what do i find at the duggins but mamie all conspicuous in a blue travelling dress with her little trunk at the door it seems that sister lottie bell who is a typewriter in terot is going to be married next thursday and mamie is off for a week's visit to be an accomplice at the ceremony mamie is waiting for a freight wagon that is going to take her to oklahoma but i condemns the freight wagon with promptness and scorn and offers to deliver the goods myself ma duggan sees no reason why not as mr fredo wants pay for the job so thirty minutes later mamie and i pull out in my light spring wagon with a white canvas cover and head due south that morning was of a praiseworthy sort the breeze was lively and smelled excellent of flowers and grass and the little cottontail rabbits entertained themselves with skylarking across the road 
my two kentucky bays went for the horizon until it come sailing in so fast you wanted to dodge it like a clothesline mamie was full of talk and rattled on like a kid about her old home and her school pranks and the things she liked and the hateful ways of those johnson girls just across the street way up in indiana not a word was said about ed collier or victuals or such solemn subjects about noon mamie looks and finds that the lunch she had put up in a basket had been left behind i could have managed quite a collation but mamie didn't seem to be grieving over nothing to eat so i made no lamentations it was a sore subject with me and i ruled provender and all its branches out of my conversation i am minded to touch light on explanations so i came to lose the way the road was dim and well-grown with grass and there was mamie by my side confiscating my intellects and attention the excuses are good or they are not as they may appear to you but i lost it and at dusk that afternoon when we should have been in oklahoma city we were seesawing along the edge of nowhere in some undiscovered river bottom and the rain was falling in large wet bunches down there in the swamps we saw a little log house on a small knoll of high ground the bottom grass and the chaparral and the lonesome timber crowded all around it it seemed to be a melancholy little house and you felt sorry for it twas that house for the night the way i reason it i explained to mamie and she leaves it to me to decide she doesn't become galvanic and prosecuting as most women would but she says it's all right she knows i didn't mean to do it we found the house was deserted it had two empty rooms there was a little shed in the yard where beasts had once been kept in a loft of it was a lot of old hay i put my horses in there and gave them some of it for which they looked at me sorrowful expecting apologies the rest of the hay i carried into the house by armfuls with a view to accommodations i also brought in the patent kindler and the brazilians neither of which are guaranteed against the action of water mamie and i sat on the wagon seats on the floor and i lit a lot of the kindler on the earth for the night was chilly if i was any judge that girl enjoyed it it was a change for her it gave her a different point of view she laughed and talked and the kindler made a dim light compared to her eyes i had a pocket full of cigars and as far as i was concerned there had never been any fall of man we were at the same old stand in the garden of eden out there somewhere in the rain and the dark was the river of zion and the angel with the flaming sword had not yet put up the keep of the grass sign i opened up a gross or two of the brazilians and made mamie put them on rings brooches necklaces eardrops bracelets girdles and lockets she flashed and sparkled like a million-dollar princess until she had pink spots in her cheeks and almost cried for a looking-glass when it got late i made a fine bunk on the floor for mamie with the hay and my lab robes and blankets out of the wagon and persuaded her to lie down i sat in the other room burning tobacco and listening to the pouring rain and meditating on the many vicissitudes that came to a man during the seventy years or so immediately preceding his funeral 
i must have dozed a little while before morning for my eyes were shut and when i opened them it was daylight and there stood mamie with her hair all done up neat and correct and her eyes bright with admiration of existence gee with jeff she exclaims but i'm hungry i could eat a i looked up and caught her eye her smile went back in and she gave me a cold look of suspicion then i laughed and i lay down on the floor to laugh easier it seemed funny to me by nature and geniality i am a hearty laugher and i went the limit when i came to mamie was sitting with her back to me all contaminated with dignity don't be angry mamie i says for i couldn't help it that's the funny way you've done up your hair if you could only see it you needn't tell stories sir said mamie cool and advised my hair is all right i know what you were laughing about why jeff look outside she winds up peeping through a chink between the logs i opened the little wooden window and looked out the entire river bottom was flooded and the knob of land on which the house stood was an island in the middle of a rushing stream of yellow water a hundred yards wide and it was still raining hard all we could do was to stay there till the doves brought the olive branch i am bound to admit that conversations and amusements languished during that day i was aware that mamie was getting a too prolonged one-sided view of things again but i had no way to change it personally i was wrapped up in the desire to eat i had hallucinations of hash and visions of ham and i kept saying to myself all the time what will you have to eat jeff what will you order now old man when the waiter comes i picks out to myself all sorts of favorites from the bill of fare and imagines them common i guess it's that way with all hungry men they can't get their cogitations trained on anything but something to eat it shows that the little table with the broken-legged caster and the imitation worcester sauce and the napkin covering up the coffee stains is the paramount issue after all instead of the question of immortality or peace between nations i sat there musing along arguing with myself quite heated as to how i'd have my steak with mushrooms or a la creole mamie was on the other seat pensive her head leaning on her hand let the potatoes come home fried i states in my mind and brown the hash in the pan with nine poached eggs on the side i felt careful in my own pockets to see if i could find a peanut or a grain or two of popcorn night came on again with the river still rising and the rain still falling i looked at mamie and i noticed that desperate look on her face that a girl always wears when she passes an ice cream layer i knew that poor girl was hungry maybe for the first time in her life there was that anxious look in her eye that a woman has only when she has missed a meal or feels a skirt coming unfastened in the back it was about eleven o'clock or so on the second night when we sat gloomy in our shipwrecked cabin i kept jerking my mind away from the subject of food but it kept flopping back again before i could fasten it i thought of everything good to eat i'd ever heard of 
i went away back to my kidhood and remembered the hot biscuit sopped in sorghum and bacon gravy with partiality and respect then i trailed along up the years pausing at green apples and salt flapjacks and maple lye hominy fried chicken all virginia style corn on the cob spare ribs and sweet potato pie and wound up with georgia brunswick stew which is the top notch of good things to eat because it comprises them all they say a drowning man sees a panorama of his whole life pass before him well when a man's starving he sees the ghost of every meal he ever ate set out before him and he invents new dishes that would make the fortune of a chef if somebody would collect the last words of men who starve to death they'd have to sift the mighty fine to discover the sentiment but they'll compile into a cookbook that would sell into the millions i guess i must have had my conscience pretty well inflicted with culinary meditations for without intending so i says out loud to the imaginary waiter cut it thick and have it rare with a french fried and six soft scrambled on toast mamie turned her head quick as a wing her eyes were sparkling and she smiled sudden medium for me she rattles out with the juliennes and three straight up draw one and brown the weeds double order to come oh jeff wouldn't it be glorious and then i'd like to have a half fry and a little chicken curd with rice and a cup custard with ice cream and go easy i interrupt where's the chicken liver pie and the kidney saute on toast and the roast lamb and oh cuts in mamie all excited with mint sauce and the turkey salad and stuffed olives and raspberry tarts and keep it going says i hurry up with the fried squash and the hot corn pone with sweet milk and don't forget the apple dumpling with hard sauce and the cross-bar dewberry pie yes for ten minutes we kept up that kind of restaurant repartee we ranges up and down and backward and forward over the main trunk lines and the branches of the victual subject and mamie leads the game for she is apprised in the ramifications of grub and the dishes she nominates aggravates my yearnings it seems that there is a feeling that mamie will line up friendly again with food it seems that she looks upon the obnoxious signs of eating with less contempt than before the next morning we find that the flood has subsided i geared up the base and we splashed out through the mud some precarious until we found the road again we were only a few miles wrong and in two hours we were in oklahoma city the first thing we saw was a big restaurant sign and we piled into there in a hurry here i finds myself sitting with mamie at table with knives and forks and plates between us and she's not scornful but smiling with starvation and sweetness twas a new restaurant and well stocked i designated a list of quotations from the bill of fare that made the waiter look out towards the wagon to see how many more might be coming there we were and there was the order being served twas a banquet for a dozen but we felt like a dozen i looked across the table at mamie and smiled for i had recollections mamie was looking at the table like a boy looks at his first stem winder then she looked at me straight in the face and two big tears came in her eyes 
the waiter was gone after Mogra. Jeff, she says, soft-like, I've been a foolish girl. I've looked at things from the wrong side. I never felt this way before. Men get hungry every day like this, don't they? They're big and strong, and they do the hard work of the world. And they don't eat just to spite silly waiter girls in restaurants, do they, Jeff? You said once... That is, you asked me... You wanted me to... Well, Jeff, if, if you still care, I'd be glad and willing to have you always sitting across the table from me. Now, give me something to eat, quick, please. So, as I've said, a woman needs to change her point of view now and then. They get tired of the same old sides, the same old dinner table, wash tub, and sewing machine. Give them a touch of the various. A little travel, and a little rest. A little tomfoolery, along with the tragedies of keeping house. A little padding, after the blowing up. A little upsetting. And a little jostling around. And everybody in the game will have chips added to their stack by the play. End of section 10. Recording by Rebecca Bronard Plunkett.